we are going to look at James chapter 3, James chapter 3, so if you have a Bible, please turn there to James chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and you can find our passage on page 1012. So if you were here with us last week, you know that James uh, returned to a theme that he had already uh, begun with earlier in his letter. Uh, he had earlier in the letter kind of prepared us to hear words about the tongue, about the power of our words, and he returned to that theme last week, and he, he talked more about our words and the significance and the importance of our words. Well, James is doing that again this morning. He's returning again to another theme. Now, this time, it's not words that he's returning to. Instead, it's the theme of wisdom. It's the topic of wisdom. Now, wisdom's an important thing for us to consider. It's an important thing for us to think about. But it's something that we often don't think about. A little over a year ago in Psychology Today, there was an article in which the writer said this, he said, in an age dominated by science and technology, by specialization and compartmentalization, wisdom is too loose, too grand, and too mysterious a concept. With our heads in our smartphone and tablets, in our bills and bank statements, we simply do not have the time or mental space for wisdom. That's an interesting observation he's making. It's interesting because uh, if, if you read it closely, if you listen closely, you can hear that he's actually contrasting wisdom with information, right? We have our smartphones, we have Google, we have all these ways to gather information, to collect data, but he's saying that, that that's not enough, right? We have all this access, but that's not enough. What we need is wisdom, but the problem is, is we don't, we don't have the time, we don't have the space, we maybe don't have the capacity to think about what wisdom is. It's an interesting observation. And if he's right, it's, it's very problematic, isn't it? Because the truth is, is that all of us have been in conversations, we've been in situations, we've been engaged in circumstances where what we need is wisdom, right? We need wisdom to know what to say and what not to say. We need wisdom to know how to engage with this person. We know, need wisdom to know what to do in the future. We need wisdom. But if we don't have the time to consider it, then we'll never know what it really is, right? We won't know what it looks like. And so James's words are very apt for us today. They're very appropriate because what we need is to make space to understand what wisdom is, what true wisdom is. And that's exactly what James is going to help us with in James chapter 3. So let's go ahead and read that, beginning in verse 13. James writes, who is wise and understanding among you? Let by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do thank you for this word. 
And we thank you that we can come to it and ask now that you would give us the wisdom to understand it. Father, we ask that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you because we need your help to do those things. I need your help, and so do we. And so we pray for it. We pray for the wisdom that comes from above, and we pray that you would lead us into what is true wisdom so that our lives would be lived in front of you and for your glory. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I have a friend named Ryan. Um, Ryan, uh, he's really a friend. He's not a friend. <laughs> uh, he's not a figment of my imagination or someone I concocted for an illustration. My friend Ryan uh, really is a person. Ryan is a Secret Service agent. And uh, I first met Ryan when we were both living in St. Louis. He was part of our church there. And, and on the first Sunday, I'd go up and I'd greet him, you know, welcome, glad to see you, you know, making small talk. What do you do? I'm a Secret Service agent. And this is like blowing my mind, right? Because it's like, man, he's a, that's a pretty cool job, right? That's a pretty cool job. So I start having all these questions running through my head. And so I start peppering Ryan because honestly, Ryan wouldn't have looked like a Secret Service agent. A little bit taller than me, thin, a little bit younger than I am. You're right. He's not like bulging with muscles and he's not carrying like semi-automatic rifles on his back, right? That's not what he was doing. And so I had to ask him questions like, you know, Ryan, so you're a Secret Service agent. So um, have you protected the, a congressman, a congresswoman? Oh, yeah, sure. No big deal, Penny. Have you protected the president? Oh, yeah, a couple of them. Oh, man, this is unbelievable, right? Like, uh, are you carrying right now? You know, are you armed? And he's like, of course I am. <laughs> I'm required to be carrying. <laughs> and then I said, okay, well, Ryan, if we put the gun away, right, we put it aside, could you, with your bare hands, take me to the brink of my life? <laughs> and without smiling, without hesitation, he says, of course. <laughs> oh, so this is like, this is amazing, right? This is so much fun. And so I keep talking to him and asking him about all that he experiences and all that he does as a Secret Service agent. And, and he comes to tell me some things that I had no idea about. You see, in my mind, a Secret Service agent is someone who protects and defends people and, and makes sure that, that protection detail is set up, and they're the person who can kill me with their bare hands. But, but Ryan actually told me that the majority of what they do, the majority of how they spend their time, isn't on protection. It's actually on white-collar crime, particularly that of forgery, of counterfeit currency. Did any of y'all know that, some of y'all? Okay, some of you did. I just thought, you know, well, I'm a Canadian, so what would I know, right? Mounties don't worry about that kind of stuff. But, uh, but Ryan was telling me that this is what he does. And so it led to all sorts of different conversations and questions now, right? Because now I'm wondering, like, so how do you figure out what a forgery is, what a counterfeit bill is? You have technology, computers, lights, you know, you scan it and it beeps out and says, eh, you know, don't use that one. And he said, well, we do have some of that. They do have technology, they have computers, they have di different programs, but he actually told me that the way that they understand what a forgery is, what they spend their time learning is what the true bill is. Okay, so, so do you hear that? So, so they learn what the forgery is by examining the true thing. 
So, so they learn what a, a fake $10 or $20 or $50 bill looks like because they know exactly what a $10 or $20 or $50 bill is supposed to look like. And so they spend so much time just studying like the little nuances, the different colors, the way that it changes, the feel and the texture, things that we probably don't really think much about. But this is what they spend their time studying. They become students of these bills. In fact, they get so good at it, they, they can spot a forgery without even comparing it sometimes to the real thing. They know the real thing so well that if something's just a little bit off, they can spot it immediately. That when they compare the two, they know what is real. And it's something of that nature that James is helping us with this morning when he talks about wisdom. Not about currency, but about wisdom. Because what James is doing is he's presenting two kinds of wisdom. Did you hear it when I read the passage? There are two kinds of wisdom, right? There is heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. There is wisdom that comes from below and wisdom that comes from above. Or another way to put it, there is true wisdom and false wisdom. And why James is presenting us with both, in fact, he actually spends most of the time presenting the true wisdom, the reason why he does this is so that we would be enticed by the true wisdom, that we would know exactly what wisdom from above looks like so that we would be able to spot the forgery in a moment. That we would be desirous of what is true and beautiful, that we're going to want it. That's what James is doing. He's showing us what true wisdom looks like. So what does it look like? Well, he tells us in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So wisdom, godly wisdom, true wisdom is demonstrable, right? That's what he said, by his good conduct, show his works. Now, in one sense, this shouldn't be surprising to us at all. If you've been with us as we've been looking at the letter of James, then, then you should expect this because we've already heard, right, the, the major theme of James, if not the theme of James, is that faith without works is dead, right? So James has said things like we need to not just be hearers of the word, but we need to be doers of the word. That, that faith without works is no faith at all, that our faith will reveal itself in good works. And so we should expect that he would say that it would be demonstrable. So in one sense, it's not unexpected. But in another sense, it's actually quite surprising. Because I think most of us think about wisdom as simply information. The wise person is the most knowledgeable person. It's the person who has filled their head with the most facts. It's all about our minds. But what James is telling us is that our wisdom will be demonstrated in our conduct. And the conduct that he points us to first is that of humility. It's humility. Did you hear what he said? He who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness. Humility. James is saying that the wise man... The wise woman is the humble man, is the humble woman. That humility is a natural outworking of wisdom because when we are wise, we will have an accurate understanding of who we are. So let's think about who we are. Think about what the Bible tells us about who we are. We are people in need. 
I actually said it in our prayer, didn't I? In the prayer, I need the Lord, you need the Lord, right? We are people in need. That we are people in need because we are people who are in rebellion against God. That we are people who are in our sin, are dead in our sins and trespasses. These are all the things that scripture tells us. What we are in need of is a savior. And so when we think about that, that there is nothing that we could do to earn God's favor, that we could never merit his love, that what we are in need of, we cannot produce in of ourselves. How can we not be humble? Right? Because we recognize, as the hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Right? There is nothing that I bring. I've said this before. We who are of the reformed camp of Christian theology... Right? That, that's y'all, by the way. <laughs> Presbyterians, we should be the most humble of all people because that is central to our doctrine, that we need Christ, that there is nothing we can do apart from him. And so the wise person is the humble person because the wise person knows who we are. The wise person understands who we are the wise person knows that there is nothing that we are to boast of. And to boast is actually the antithesis of wisdom. It's the antithesis of humility. Look at verse 14. James says, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, being false. That is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Man, he just like upped the ante, didn't he? I mean, it's one thing to say it's not from above. It's one thing to say it's earthly, but it is demonic, he said. It is, it is in opposition to God. True wisdom is reflected not in boasting or jealousy or selfish ambition, but in humility. And that humility informs the qualities that James lists later. Look at verse 17. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So think about those qualities, peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Can you be any of those things without being humble? No. Right? Just think, think about, let's take one of them. We could run through all of them, but let's just take one, open to reason. Open to another point of view. Open to a contrasting idea. To be able to be open to reason, you have to be willing to say, I may not be right. You have to be willing to say, I, I maybe haven't seen all the angles, and so it's good that I'm having this conversation with you. But it's hard to say those things, isn't it? I mean, in the day in which we live, it's hard to say those things because we value expertise and we value knowledge and we value having all the answers, right? Because we have the answers at our fingertips. And so there's so much pressure for us to be the answer man or woman, right? Like in your places of work, you want to have the answers, right? You want to be the one who solves all the problems. When you're having conversations with others about Jesus, about the Bible, about theological things, right? You... What is our greatest fear? That they're going to ask us a question that I can't answer, right? I mean, talk to a six-year-old and listen to those questions. Like, you don't want to ask them those questions anymore. You know, don't ask me anymore because I don't know the answer, right? We don't like that feeling. We don't like having to say, I don't know. But wisdom, humility, open to reason, 
It means that we're not going to have all the answers. It means that we're going to be humble enough in those moments to say, I don't know. We're going to be humble. If we are going to be wise, we are going to be humble. Humble about ourselves, humble about our abilities, humble about our knowledge. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is humble and it's demonstrable, but also it's relational. Wisdom is about benefiting others. So look what he said about earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting. Okay, now what is that about? Selfishness, ambition, jealousy, boasting. What, what are those things? That, you know who that's about? Those qualities are about me. They're about me. Right? To be jealous means that we desire something someone else has. Right? It's, it's desiring something that someone else has that we don't have. So we could be jealous of their car, could be possessions, right? Their, their house, their family. We can do this within the church because we can be jealous of each other in the gifts that God has bestowed upon one another. Right? I'm jealous of that person because they're musically gifted. I'm jealous of that person because they're extremely hospitable. I'm jealous of that person because they seem to always be able to have the good gospel conversation. But in being jealous, even of these good things, we are making it about us. Jealousy is about me. Ambition, it's all about promoting ourselves and our own well-being. Boasting is often about promoting ourselves at the expense of someone else. The wisdom of this world is about me. But godly wisdom, the wisdom that James is putting before us, He said it's pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. All of these things are how we relate to others. I mean, think about it. We are gentle. We show our gentleness in our conversations with one another. Right? We we show mercy by bestowing mercy on another. We are sincere by fleeing from deceit and speaking the truth. All of these characteristics of what godly wisdom looks like, true wisdom looks like, is demonstrated in our relating to one another. Christian wisdom is demonstrated not in knowledge that we have or information we accumulate, but in how we engage with each other. And so I wonder, I wonder, would our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members when they think of us, would, would they use these words to describe us? Would they use these words to describe you and me and Christ the King Presbyterian Church? I mean, like that neighbor that didn't vote the way we did? When they think of us, do they think, man, they are peaceable people? That person that we supervise at work, when they think of us, do they think they are impartial? our family members, our children, our spouse, our parents, when they think of us, do they think they are pure and gentle and full of mercy? Friends, as those who are following Christ, as those who are seeking this true wisdom, this is what our lives should be a demonstration of. That this is the wisdom that we are to embody. And I have to tell you that when we see it, friends, we know it because it is beautiful. 
right? It is beautiful purity and peace, sincerity and good fruits, mercy and gentleness. That is attractive, right? I mean, who wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, today I cannot wait to be a curmudgeon, <laughs> right? I can't wait to go into work and be overcome by jealousy of what that other person, right? No one says those things because we know, we know that the shrill and the selfish were repulsed by those things. But the pure and the gentle, we're drawn to them. They're beautiful. We're drawn to them because this is actually exactly how we were made to live. That this kind of wisdom is how we were made to live. We're drawn to this because this is the wisdom that comes from God. See, that's what James tells us. Where does this wisdom come from? Well, twice in verse 15 and 17, he calls this wisdom the wisdom that comes down from above. This wisdom comes from God. Now, James already told us in chapter 1, he said, let me take a sip first. I get nervous sometimes. I'm going to like just drop it and it's going to go everywhere. But um, anyway, um, so James in chapter one, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. So James is reminding us that the wisdom that we possessed, possess the wisdom that we are to embody. It's not something that we create in ourselves. It's not something that we drum up. But it is the gift of God. This is why this kind of wisdom looks so different from the wisdom of the world, because it's not of this world. It's the wisdom that is most fully revealed in Christ and in his cross. And that's exactly what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. So if you're familiar with the writings of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians is is this one letter that he wrote to this church that, that is trying to live out this sort of wisdom, trying to live as God's people in, in a culture that is very different than, uh, than the church. And it's in a culture where this culture values and talks a lot about wisdom, but it's not the wisdom of God, it's the wisdom of the Greeks. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he says this, he says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, and because of him, You are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He is saying that there is a wisdom not of this world, and this wisdom is Jesus himself. The world looks upon the cross, an innocent man dying for guilty people, and the world says, what a shame, what a waste. What folly and foolishness. But to the Christian, to God, we say, what wisdom. That is wisdom. I mean, think about the characteristics that James described in verse 17. Those descriptions are most clearly seen in Jesus, aren't they? I mean, Jesus' life was one of purity and gentleness 
His life was the fullest demonstration of good fruits. And in the cross, by his sacrifice, he showers us with mercy and he brings us peace. Christ is the wisdom of God. That if you want to know what wisdom looks like, you look to Jesus. That if you want to understand what wisdom from heaven is, you look to the one who was sent from heaven. He is the wisdom of God. And so as his people, those who have experienced his grace and his mercy and peace, we are called to live wisely. And we do so by looking to him. You see, the wisdom that we embody, we embody because we have been immersed in Jesus. That's how we live this way. To have this wisdom from above is to have Jesus because he is our life and he is our wisdom. Or as the theologian Kevin Van Hooser put it, he said, theological wisdom means knowing how to live out the mind of Christ at all times, everywhere, and to everyone. That is true wisdom. It comes from Jesus. And if we are going to live out this wisdom from heaven, then that means we must become students of Christ. We become students of Christ to such a degree that our lives and our thoughts and our words are going to be reflective of him. So our words become his words. Our life becomes living as he would live. Our thoughts are formed by his thoughts. That is what it means to be wise, that we'd be so immersed in Christ that his purity and peace and gentleness would be reflected in and through us. And friends, that makes perfect sense why we would pursue it, doesn't it? I mean, that kind of wisdom, that kind of life, when we put the wisdom of heaven, when we put Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again, the wisdom of God, when we put that up against the wisdom of this world, I mean, we see them for what they are, don't we? This is not wisdom, it is foolishness and folly. We see with great clarity that the wisdom from below is simply a counterfeit. It is a forgery, and it does not compare to the true and beautiful wisdom of God. And so, so friends, let us ask him for it. That's what James said in chapter 1. He doesn't just present us with it in chapter 3 and leave us to it. He says, ask for it. If any of you who are lacking in wisdom, that is me and you and all of us. Let us ask him for it. Let us ask for more wisdom, and in doing so, what we are asking is more of Christ so that our lives would look like his because Christ is our life. Christ is our wisdom. Amen. Our Father, we do thank you that you have not left us alone, but you have given us the true and wise Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who lived a life of purity, who died in order to bring peace to us and to all your people, who has done this so that not only would he be the personification of wisdom, but that he would be our wisdom for us, and that he would live in us so that we would reflect that wisdom to others. And so we pray that that's what we would do, that you would give us more of Christ, that you would give us more wisdom so that we would live as your people. Help us today and all of our days. And we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.